your seeking freedom in a marble mansion. With your seeking freedom, you won't find it there. For even when it's sunny, you'll be counting money, keeping up that showcase, your face lined with care. And if you're seeking freedom on a throne of power, oh, if you're seeking freedom, you won't find it there. For though men all obey you, what if they betray you? Tense you'll be and waiting for foes everywhere. But if you're seeking freedom, away desires, why barter like a beggar, you won't everywhere. For never can you buy it, grasp and you deny it, freedom can't be hoarded, it's free as the air. And if you're seeking freedom, seek it on the mountains, got sunlight on shoulders the wind in your head for there's no one can hold you boss about to mold you once your heart is free you'll be king everywhere for there's no one can hold you boss about to mold you once your heart is free you'll be king Love is all I know, sun rays on the snow of a winter long, in darkness without song. Oh, my heart's a fire, burning all desire, only you remain. And life again. Too long I did stray, flung lifetimes away. Imagined you did not care. I know now your smile was mine all the while. I listened and love was there. I can't breathe for love. All the stars above call to me, come home. Life's waves all end in foam. Only love can heal 
All the pain I feel What a fool was I To turn away Love is all I know Sun rays on the snow Of a winter long In darkness without song Oh, my heart's a fire Burning all desire Only you remain and life again. Too long I did stray, flung lifetimes away, imagined you did not care. I know now your smile was mine all the while. I listened and love was there. I can't breathe for love. All the stars above call to me, come home. Life's waves all end in foam. Only love can heal. All the pain I feel What a fool was I To turn away Thank you, choir, Dumbara, Mukti. That was perfectly beautiful. Good morning, everyone. My name is Nayaswami Dharmadas, and with me this morning for the class are Nayaswami's Padma, Asha, and Bharat. And it's our joy to share today's topic with you Superconsciousness and creativity. This is, as I dug into it, an extraordinarily broad topic, one that I think an entire spiritual renewal week could probably be devoted to. So we will do our plucky best try to, to try to keep this to a manageable uh, sharing. But Swamiji's life of discipleship, very, very rightly, uh, the emphasis this week has been on his life of discipleship, has been expressed in creativity. And so I thought to share a little bit about how that process has worked and what has been involved in it. Last night in the play, 
we got to experience a little glimpse of Swamiji's consciousness, sometimes in very amusing ways and sometimes in very profound and deep ways. We see him sort of becoming Romesh, the uh, s- sort of the caricature, you might say, of the Vaisha consciousness, the the uh, the ferried clinking of gold coins always reminds me of temple bells. I think I <laughs> managed to mush two of them together there. But anyway, you get the idea. Swamiji would repeat some of these lines in India even and f- faraway places. You could tell that he's, he had gone into these things to the point where he became one with those characters. I'm Also, after the play last night, I was... Uh, reminded of the peace treaty and how in working with us to produce the peace treaty, Swamiji would remind us that he had become each of those characters while he was writing the play. He said, I lived on Crystal Isle during the month that it took me to write that play. And I went into each of those characters and he would go to the center, and this is the superconscious part of the creative process, he would go to the center of each point of view. In the case of a play, it's the characters, and he would express from that point, what would the point of view of the world look like through Romesh's eyes? Well, God we the wise see him as the divine merchant, giving as only as good as he gets. Well, there you have it. From that point of view, that's what the world looks like. That's what God looks like. And then you have obviously more exalted manifestations of it. But he gave us that glimpse so that we could see, not Swami Kriyananda personally, but we could see the view from his eyes, which was the view from master's eyes. Christ had 12 disciples to show the world a vision of Christ. And over the span of 2,000 years, that vision has been manifested in many, many saints throughout the West, and it moved the Western world. And Swamiji has given us so, so many ways through his eyes to master's consciousness and vibration. Swamiji said a number of times, if you would know who I am, listen to my music. And if you actually do listen to his music, which I suppose all of us have done to one degree or another, you, you do come to experience some of his consciousness. But there's another step that you can take that goes beyond that as well. If you would experience some of Swamiji's consciousness, sing his music. And if you want to take it one step farther, try doing what Dambara just did and sing it as a solo in front of a whole lot of people (laughs) and see. I, I loved Anandi's example the other day of the process of the coffee and how you pour water into the thermos. And what initially comes out is not all avatar. It's some coffee grounds come out with the process, not just clean water. And 
I know I remember the first time if you if you ever want to have an experience of letting the divine flow through you let a lot of energy move through you and through those thoughts and through that consciousness it's very very powerful I remember singing a solo in front of Swamiji sitting in the first row and his hearing gradually declined over the years. And so as the years went by, he would concentrate more and more intently to hear, which had the unfortunate result that his face would sort of (laughs) do a little bit of that. And I can tell you, you really didn't want to look at that necessarily while you were singing because you'd start to wonder, oh my God, is it that bad? (laughs) Is it really... sort of thought I was in key, but <clears throat> which of course starts a whole little feedback loop, but your throat starts to tighten up and it can become very inconvenient. It's a great way to burn up vrittis in the spine. But Swamiji himself would allow Master's energy to flow through him and in going to the center of each character of each musical expression. He gave us so many windows on which to see Master through music like the Mystic Harp series or Secrets of Love or so many different chants and bhajans. Swamiji has shown us an example and given us the means, given us the tools. I was reflecting on, again, the peace treaty and some of the speeches in it because For many years, I played one of the key parts in that play, and those, and I think he specifically gave all of us the opportunity to perform that play so that those thoughts would percolate through our minds, would work their magic in our uh, molecules. I appreciated very much Jyotisha's spiritual DNA. We have the spiritual DNA coming from Master and through Swamiji, and artistic and creative expression is a very key part of that process. And Swamiji, he would touch the deepest stillness and find tremendous joy there. He answered an interesting question that would come up a little bit more in India, perhaps, than in the West. Why did God create the universe? Sort of one of those slightly rhetorical questions, but and the traditional answer in India was to enjoy himself through many, which I don't know about you, but that answer always left me a little dry or a little bit um, without any sense for why that, why would he enjoy himself, how would he enjoy himself through many, especially the ones who were suffering and so on. Swamiji answered that question in a different way, and it applies to creativity. He said, it is the nature of joy to want to share itself. And if you think in your own life, when you have truly touched joy, when you've touched the stillness and the blessing of God, there is a natural impetus, there's a natural inclination to share it And not only to share it, but to share it in fresh and creative ways. And Swami's life embodied this kind of sharing 
in so, so many different ways. I, we had the joy, Nirmala and myself had the joy of helping Swamiji to produce books and music uh, for quite a number of years before we went to India, and even to some extent in India as well. And I can tell you that the process of producing those books and music and videos was a demanding one because Swamiji would have this vision or this intuitive sense of how it should be and how quick it should be, how immediate, in fact, it should be. There was one, one time in those nine years before we went to India, one time we actually surprised Swamiji in a favorable and impressive way. There were a number of times that we surprised him in unfavorable ways, but this time we actually surprised him in a favorable way. He gave us a manuscript on a Thursday afternoon or evening, and on the following Monday morning, we handed him a printed book, printed and bound book. That surprised him. <laughs> that required someone driving at high speed to Sacramento after I had finished laying the book out, getting that disc on an airplane to Memphis and coaxing the production house to produce over the weekend this one book. And we did do it. That was a place called Ananda, and it was a short run at the, at the time because we wanted to show him. But that book and that process was a dynamic one. And we would, in trying to achieve perfection, in trying to uh, meet his expectation and his hope for each of these products, each of these projects, they were like children to him. They weren't just things. They were alive. They were, they, he could see right through them to the audience that he would be hoping to reach, hoping to touch. He said when he would write, he would visualize his audience as one person, and he would talk to that person. He would talk to them just as if he was having a conversation over a cup of tea and try to share what he understood so that the person could understand it and receive it in his or her own way. And he worked with all of us to the degree that we were able and willing. And in his way, he encouraged us to work very vigorously. I remember a time when we were working on the book, The Hindu Way of Awakening, and he was living in Italy. This was 1998. And Lakshman, and I w would like to add my testimony to those who have gone before me, what a key part of all of this Lakshman has been and what a blessing it was to work with him on these projects. We were working independently, Lakshman on the sort of editorial side and the proof, proofing side, and I was typesetting, Nirmala would be designing covers, and the, the whole production element would be happening at the same time, checking prices and so forth. And email was now common and workable enough that we were sharing back and forth on email. And because of the time zone difference and a little bit of overlap in hours where we would be there at the same time, we were getting most of 24 hours out of each day in terms of work. So an awful lot could get done. 
But it so happened that on one night, my uh, it, it was my turn to stay up late, shall we say. It was often Lakshman's turn, but this time it was my turn. And we were exchanging emails in real time, and I got one back from him with a subject line that I have never forgotten, and the, the humor element definitely came out in that moment. At two o'clock in the morning, I was all alone in the Sangha office, and came this email from Lakshman, our Hindu way of staying awake. <laughs> <laughs> We would, when we handed Swamiji a book, there were three tests. There was the 30-second test, the five-minute test, and the 30-minute test. The 30-second test was he could, he had a siddhi where he could open a book and he could find the mistake. <laughs> the one mistake, perhaps, <laughs> could be on page 172, but he would open to that page and find it. That was the 30-second test, and usually that was something pretty disastrous something on the back cover, something, you know, we forgot his photo or some big problem. The five-minute test could be something a little more subtle where something didn't quite happen in the production. It wasn't necessarily our fault, but it was something that significant that needed fixing. The 30-minute test was perhaps equally significant, but it might just be something that he himself would have done differently in the writing and we learned over the years to try to get him as near to a finished book as soon as possible because it helped him to see the final result of what it was that he was doing and how it was that other people would perceive this and tune into it. And that process was a very vigorous and dynamic one back and forth. Swamiji, the music would come to him sometimes in a flash, and he would write it down. The production of it would take more time. The arranging and production of it could take weeks and even months, sometimes even years in the case of Secrets of Love, the album. But writing was a challenge because in a way he was writing music with consciousness. He was writing music with ideas. And over the years, he became more and more sensitive, more and more refined in the way that he would write, the way that he would put sentences and paragraphs together, tuning into the rhythm, touching on the nuances of how the consciousness would flow in melodic ways, even in words and writing. Very, very sensitive and very subtle. We watched his editing over the, over the days and weeks in some cases, and it was remarkable to see the nuance that he would put into the writing so that just that clarity could come through in the consciousness because he knew that it would change our consciousness. Having those thoughts, having those vibrations move through us would change how we perceived ourselves and how we could bring Master's light into the world. He had a way of, in just a moment here. He had a way of working, and this is the, the point that I'll close with. He worked in, he, he gave us so many examples of creativity, 
the hundreds and hundreds of songs, the more than 100 books, 150 books, countless slides and photographs, slide shows, uh, the oratorio multimedia program that came out in the 1980s, now movies and film. He worked in so many different ways, but in a very real sense, the greatest project, the greatest creative, creative superconscious expression is one that continues to this moment and will continue he is writing the story of your life and my life and our lives together. And it's an ongoing process. And it, it responds to our ability, our willingness, our attunement to s- determine how much or to what degree that flow passes through us But he is also, and this is something that I've come to perceive in the last several years more and more clearly, he's also weaving, writing, painting, composing the tapestry of interaction, of consciousness between all of us. And not just all of us here sitting in this amphitheater or even all of us watching, but all of us who want to tune into his consciousness, want to tune into master's consciousness. And the beauty and the nuance and the subtlety of that in different languages, through different cultures, through different nationalities and ways of looking at the world is extraordinary and so deeply blessed. And we of course, as we all know the saying, the instrument is blessed by that which flows through it. We ourselves are so deeply blessed to allow that flow to come through us in whatever way is appropriate to us. We are, all of us, musicians, perhaps not vocally or in terms of playing an instrument, but we're all of us musicians in terms of our lives, in terms of the artistic and vibrational element that comes through our hearts, comes through our eyes, comes through our voices, our smile, the energy with which we greet and meet and connect with each other and with others. And that continues to this day. The fact that Swamiji doesn't have a physical body to work through in in many ways is not only not an impediment to that process, it's an actual aid to that process because that body was such a challenge for him. He worked with what he had and tremendous tapasya was being performed through that body. And the fact that he was able to be so extraordinarily creative in spite of and even perhaps because of that limited body Now that isn't there anymore, and that process can move through each one of us into expanding realms of consciousness, of joy, and of connecting with people in new and meaningful ways. And that, to me, is the very greatest uh, creative expression of Swamiji, and it's our blessing to be a part of it. Well, on Monday, Jyotishan Devi gave a beautiful talk introducing the theme of this week and Swami Kriyananda's 
spiritual legacy. Jyotish took his life from the beginning to the time that he met his guru, that he met Paramahansa Yogananda. And then Devi talked eloquently, bringing up some highlights, some watershed moments when Swamiji superconsciously energized entire new directions spiritually, not just in our lives, but in the world in general, you know, communities and approach to discipleship and renunciation, new waves of energy. So when I was reflecting on it, of course, every one of those came through superconscious attunement that he had. And then I reflected further in just my observation of him through the many years. There were very few moments that were not superconscious. There are just thousands of superconscious moments. And if I try to approach this subject in that way, we would be here for months. <laughs> so I had to look at it a new way. But I did want to share with you, because it came up the other day, Davy reminded me when we were at a tea together about the time when we were in Sermione in uh, Italy. It's a little village on a beautiful lake, the largest lake in Italy. And Jatishan Devi and Riman and I and Dharmanas and Nirmala were on a little vacation with him there. And the village was such, you parked your cars outside and, and then you had to walk in the town. And it was all these cute little streets and, and you know, shops and restaurants, classic Italian style. One afternoon, Swami was napping, and Riman and I went for a little walk. And we walked past this one shop, and we saw in the window um, displayed this beautiful man's sweater on a mannequin. And it was exactly Riman's size, I could tell, and perfect coloring for him. And so I said, let's, let's buy it. And he said, no, I don't want to spend the money. And I said, no, really, it's perfect. And it would be such a great memento from this trip. And look, it, it didn't cost too much. I said, let's get it. No, no, I don't want to spend the money. <laughs> well, <laughs> I knew his Irish well enough <laughs> that I had to let it go. <laughs> and we finished our walk <laughs> and went back to the hotel. And then at 5 o'clock, Swamiji called us after his nap and asked us all to join him to a tea shop. So we went off for a little walk to this tea shop, and we passed that shop, and he, he sort of went a little bit past it, and then he stopped, Swamiji did, and he said, Riemann, that sweater is perfect for you. Go in and try it on. And Riemann looked at me like, he knew I had not had a moment alone with Swami to tell him this story. I was not guilty. <laughs> you know. And Swami said, I want you to try it on because I'd like to buy it for you. And so we, you know, did. And of course, in that process, I shared with him what had happened earlier, and he just had a completely blank expression on his face. 
he he didn't know that. It wasn't like a mental thing that went on. It was, he's in that flow of super consciousness. Thoughts are universally rooted, and he just tuned into it. But I think the most important part of it is there's a point to it. Rima and I often worked through the years in various capacities doing financial things for Ananda. And he was, Swami was always trying to train us to relax around it and not be so tight around it and be more in that flow, in that divine flow. And in my years of working with him on his special projects, he had a lot of opportunity to hammer that into me. But this was his opportunity to get Raymond right between the eyes on that one. <laughs> Creativity, as I learned to understand it in watching him and in hearing how he expressed Yogananda's teachings, was not just about the arts. Creativity is about tuning into the creator. He used to say originality is not about doing things different than they've ever been done before. It's about tuning into your origin. And so creativity can be applied to everything in our lives. And if we're not blessed with all kinds of artistic expression, we apply it to whatever it is we are doing. The mundane, even. I remember... um, when he first asked me to coordinate his projects, this was before it was even crystal clarity. It was the joyful arts. And I would ask him, like Shivani was asking about the publishing, what is it to get my books out? I would ask him, what is the joyful arts? He said, it's that part of Ananda that will take the work out. And that's the only guidance that he ever gave me on that subject. And so he would be giving a talk here at the retreat. It wasn't the expanding light yet. And the outdoor talks were in a different location, the Temple of Trees. And he would ask me to come and set up a table right at the back of his talk with all the products on it, the tapes, the audios, the, the books. Now, mind you, my friends who were running the expanding light or the retreat at that time, they had a boutique. <laughs> So I knew they weren't going to be too pleased (laughs) that I had a separate product table right there when people first came out of the talk. But I knew, or rather I didn't know right away, but I tuned in over time and began to understand that what he was trying to show me was how to do it. He was trying to show me how to think about getting inside of the consciousness of the people that were serving and trying to reach. And by having that product table there, as soon as they got up from the inspiration of that talk, they had it right there accessible for them to purchase and take home with them. And it wasn't about the money. It was about taking home something that they could further their inspiration with. So applying that creativity to those that were serving was really the essence of that lesson. And then then taking that into, of course, the work that I was doing in trying to see how to get these things that he was creating to people. Well, I tried to think of how to approach superconsciousness as a topic. And 
you can sort of scratch the surface. But when I was reflecting on it, and I tried to think of the key aspects, just a few of them, of superconsciousness, I had the realization that they all somehow align themselves with the key techniques that Master gave us in this path. The first, energization. Energy. There's a problem, double the energy. Find the solution, stay solution-oriented. Well, Swami did that literally. (laughs) So if I went to him with a problem, and I had problem consciousness, I was too focused on it, I was fearful, I was worried, I was concerned. He would listen compassionately with great interest. I would feel heard. And then I would go back to my office and about a day or two later, he would call me with projects that were gonna cost twice as much, (laughs) take twice as many resources and personnel. You know, and so you sort of learn over time that it's not the what, it's the how. I could tell him what the issues were that were going on. And if I was even minded about it, that wouldn't happen. He wouldn't do that. But if I was panicked about it, I would get a double dose, you know. I remember one example I couldn't help but think of it when Shivani gave her talk here the other day saying yes to life. She mentioned that she ran the publishing for four years. Well, in her time frame, I I eventually ended up also doing the publishing, but it was a few years later, and then it became crystal clarity. When the time frame she did it, they published The Path, Swami's Path, and they had printed 50,000 copies of it. And there were a lot of expenses associated with that. And normally when we publish books, we sell, maybe in the first year, if we're really lucky and it's a really good book, it might be four or 5,000. And then after that, you know, a thousand or a few hundred. And so by the time I came along, there were about 42,000 paths left (laughs) and a whole lot of loans and debt. And Crystal Clarity always ran in a really, on a really tight budget. So it was a challenge. And in my less <coughs> superconscious moments, I would sometimes complain about that challenge. And one time, I remember Swami asked me about launching yet another new project. And... Um, I said, well, things are really tight right now, and you know, we're still paying off that old debt Shivani created <laughs> on, on the path. <laughs> and he got this very sheepish little look on his face, and he said, well, it wasn't really Shivani's fault. He said, I asked her to do that. <laughs> so he was going double dose, super conscious, positive, this is going to work, we're going to sell millions of them as always. And then he met up with Shivani's enthusiastic abundance. And between the two, there we have it. (laughs) We eventually gave away many of those paths. And actually, that was a great solution. And people very much were touched and appreciated um, that through the years. Took a few years, though, 
in the meantime, we were paying for the inventory, storage, you know, and that kind of thing. Anyway, energy, energy, energization exercises. The second one is Hong Saw. And what reminded me of that is perseverance. Um, about six years before Swamiji launched Ananda in India in 2003, he would call me, and I was doing the foreign rights, and we had about five publishers in India. And he asked me if I could contact them and see if they'd be willing to um, organize a tour, a lecture tour for him based on his books. There were about 40 of his books published in India at the time. And I knew, you know, those publishers, if a book sells for $15 here, it might sell for 3 or $4 in India. They make it in an inexpensive manner so the public there can afford it. So there's no margin, you know. They don't have the kind of money. They don't do author touring. But, you know, he asked me to ask, so I would ask them. And then all five of them responded with, no, we can't afford that here. We don't do that here. We don't even have bookstores that have space for people to come and lecture. It's very different here. So I share that with Swami. And then the next year, the phone would ring again. <laughs> and he'd say, can you see if the Indian publishers are ready yet to sponsor me to come and lecture there? And okay. So I would do it again, and they would respond again, and I would tell them again, and a year later, the phone would ring again. This happened, honestly, about six times. But somewhere around the third or fourth time, he said to me, I feel that Babaji and Master want Ananda to have a work in India to further Master's work. And I'm just trying to feel out when the right time is. So he was testing, persevering, persevering, and testing the waters. And then as someone else shared this week, he got a letter from a devotee in 2003 who expressed concern because master's teachings were so hard to find and get at in India. And then he was on the next plane to India to start that work. He was just trying to feel su super consciously when Babaji, master, opened that window when it was time to go. The third aspect is the OM technique, listening, the art of listening. I was, I was recalling, let me just get a little drink of water. About 15 years after Ananda started, we were sort of going along, things were going okay, but one day Swami invited a few of us over and he said, we need to think about a new way to work our governance of Ananda, the way that we um, um, lead Ananda and, and so on, the way we interact with all the different departments. And at that point, there were a couple of colonies, communities already, maybe two. And he said, I'm always struck by the way the Founding Fathers of America organized the American governance. You know, there was the executive branch and the legislative and the judicial, and it created a sense of checks and balances that are very important and very healthy when you're trying to serve people. 
He said, somehow we need our version of that. Let's meditate on that. And so we all, you know, took that to heart and tried to meditate and pray about that. A couple of days later, he called, and he had us back over, and he said, I think we've got it. He said, I think we should work with a spiritual director and a general manager. And the spiritual director's function would be always to look out for the spiritual welfare of the individual. And the general manager would need to look out for the welfare of the whole and make it all work. And the two work together. And of course, Swami, in a way, was already that, the spiritual director. And I think at that time, Jyotish was the general manager or someone was <laughs> in that capacity. But he had many more books to write and things to create. He traveled a lot. He toured a lot. He was away from here. So he established a spiritual director and a general manager in all the key arenas. Because, you know, in, in most cases, the same person is perfectly skilled maybe to do both. But it's a different way of thinking. And you have to focus. You have to specialize so that you can get super conscious in that arena and in that way do it as best as possible. And by having two different minds, two different hearts working on it, it was really a brilliant moment. So he was listening. He was tuning in. He was asking the question of Master, of Yogananda, and then he listened and received that answer. And there's so, so many stories that way. The last one is Kriya. Kriya is sort of the don't wait, you can do it now. Don't hesitate, it doesn't have to be perfect. Do it now. You know, the spine, how Master talks in Autobiography of a Yogi, is filled with all these vrittis blockages and it just sort of paralyzes the energy and Kriya helps us to free those karmas, to free those retreats, to open that spine for the prana, for the energy of superconsciousness to flow freely through it. When I was nursing our children, our babies, I struggled with my Kriya and I talked to him about it once to, and he said, do Kriya while you're nursing. And I thought, okay, there's always an answer. <laughs> you know, not doing it is not an option. There's always an answer. So many people, if I can't meditate an hour and a half, I don't meditate. I can't be perfect. I'm not going to do it. And he's saying, do something, anything. Keep the energy moving because inertia is the opposite of superconsciousness. It will pull it. It'll pull you down, 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 uh, tamasically. And so always put out some energy, whatever energy that you can. And we watched this with him later in life, especially when the body was so frail. He never stopped, not for a moment. Always we can find that energy because it's not our energy. It's God's energy. That's what we're drawing upon. 
You know, Nitai mentioned that book, Education for Life. He was told back then, Swami, when he finished writing it, it was going to cost him $40,000, or Ananda, the publishing, to be able to publish and promote that book. And that was 35 years ago. Today it would be easily double that amount. And it blocked his flow. And he was always in state-of-the-art, so he went and he had read about desktop publishing, which was brand new back then, frowned upon by the publishing industry. He went and bought the equipment. We trained somebody to use it. And that year, he wrote 10 serious books. Boom. You know, start to finish. 10 days, 12 days, we were done because we could do it all ourselves. And yes, the publishing industry did frown upon it, but we still sold them. You know, I enjoyed creatively learning the rules of the publishing trade so that I could figure out how to go around them <laughs> in order to do Master and Swami's work, which is completely on a different wavelength. You can find solutions to everything. The other thing is necessity as the mother of invention. He would create, as Dharmadas referred to, these deadlines. They were artificial deadlines. They were self-created deadlines. I have to finish this before spiritual renewal week because then my energy will change, slip away, and I'll lose that project. I have to finish this before I leave for India or this or that. All these self-imposed deadlines. But that's how you get it done because it creates that focus. And he's not doing it. He would step out of the way and say, Master, I know one time he wrote, what was it, Cities of Light and three days in the end after his computer got repaired after it crashed with half of the book that he'd written he just got out of the way and he felt such bliss in getting out of the way and then for these things to be able to come through him and i i learned that i think the reason was that masters bhagavad-gita should have been published in 1951. He even wrote that in the 1951 edition of the uh, autobiography. He died the next year, left his body, and it wasn't published for 45 years. That's the inertia. That's what set in. And ever since then, Swami vowed never to let that happen to anything that he was an instrument for, for Master. And so that's how he did it. I wanted to just end on his book, the Bhagavad Gita, because he was disappointed when he saw the edition that was finally published 45 years later. And so he kept praying to Master, what can I do? I don't have access to my original, the original manuscript and the notes. And then in a dream one night, Master said, don't forget there's a skylight. And I realized that skylight and then he got it. He just started, and Master just started pouring through him. And it's the most blissful, uh, superconscious writing that Swamiji was a channel for in all his life, I think. It's, it was amazing. We were present there. He was just thrilled with it. He would read it like it was fresh and new because it had come through him, but he hadn't had time to really read it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so it's 
It's all of the things we've talked about the week, this week. It's say yes to life. It's discipleship. It's super consciousness. And as everyone has said, it's the gift of the tools of all of these because it's how we can all live in our own lives. I would like to talk on the theme of God as the cosmic uh, creative. And I'd like to um, illustrate this with a few stories and then talk more in depth about it. In 1973, I came to Ananda Retreat for the first time. And I didn't get a chance to meet Swami. And, um, and then I, I left after that weekend and I joined a Zen monastery for a couple of years. Uh, Ananda was a little bit different than my experience of growing up in Yuba City. Uh, and, and then I, I started reading the autobiography of Yogi. I hadn't read that yet. And I just knew that uh, I needed to come to Ananda. And that was after two years of really intensive uh, meditation at the monastery. And so I was hitchhiking. Uh, and I was uh, left from Yuba City, which is in the Central Valley, and I got up to Nevada City, and I was waiting uh, for maybe it was two hours on Highway 49, right where it leaves Nevada City. And uh, after a while, this green Volkswagen came, uh, Beetle, and uh, stopped, and there was a man in a beret, uh, and uh, he had very joyful eyes. Uh, he stopped and uh, invited me into his car. And we continued on 49, and I didn't know who this was, and, but I felt an incredible presence in this person, uh, somebody who I felt I could just open up to completely, and uh, who really knew my life. And he asked some questions uh, about my life, and so I answered them, and unfortunately, I told him all about my life. <laughs> but, uh, and so he continued on Highway 49, and just in his presence, I, I had this sense that my highest aspirations could be realized. Uh, he just seemed to make everything possible. I mean, I'd been very idealistic and, uh, uh, at that time, and I'd been in a monastery. And then we uh, went further on. We went through, a, uh, the road was very curvy, and uh, there was a, a cattle drive right then, and we were driving, you know, just a, you know, very slow through the cows. And then we turned on uh, Tyler Foot Road, and I had been to Ananda a couple years uh, before at the meditation retreat. As we continued on uh, Tyler Foot Road, further and further, I looked at him, and I said, are you Swami Kriyananda? And he said he was. <laughs> and then he said that I thought you were coming to Ananda, and I don't usually pick up hitchhikers. Uh, and I just, in thinking about remembering this experience and just uh, thinking about how I just opened up in his presence and how when Swami, when he would take a picture of a flower, uh, he would speak to the flower, and he'd send out mental thoughts of love and kindness. And just that image of Swami Kriyananda, you know, we, we've all, most of us have had the great, great blessing of seeing him move in this world. And it's almost like he's going through a meadow, and there's all these flowers after his passing just open up in just beautiful colors. And, uh, and I, I just, isn't that divine uh, creativity where, uh, you know, usually when we're creative, we want to change things for the better. 
uh, we wanted, uh, because we aren't satisfied with the present. There's a, a need to express things further, like uh, the nature of bliss is to share and create. But, uh, but Swami was giving the highest gift that was possible just by his very presence. Uh, and, um, and it was just a real important lesson in terms of what's really most important in life. Another experience I had was actually my first year at Ananda. There was a fire uh, that uh, the whole community had, and that was all of our experience uh, in 1976. And we didn't have a lot of uh, finances to rebuild. And so, and because I had grown up in the Sacramento Valley uh, and worked in the rice fields, uh, we went down, Shivani, I remember, I think it was maybe Hari Das, we, we drove down for a day and we arranged uh, jobs for uh, different Ananda members. And then uh, we, um, Parvati and Kirtani later and uh, Sahadev and others went down to work that, that season. And my job uh, was um, at a dryer, well, actually Parvati, Kirtani and I worked at this one rice dryer and uh, Parvati was a day uh, quality control girl, and Kirtani was at night, and then I ran the, the actual machinery and uh, feeding the rice to all the bins. And, uh, but I, I was just new at Ananda, and Gridley isn't really Benares of the upper Sacramento Valley. <laughs> and um, uh, Swami was giving Sunday service, and uh, because I was operating the dryer, I had to stay there, and my first day was uh, an 18-hour day. Uh, and, um, and, then uh, and then we started our work. And Swami began meditating uh, with all the monks. And he'd never meditated with the monks every uh, evening uh, afterwards. And I was feeling a little bit lost and forlorn. Uh, here was Swami meditating with the monks, and I'm here in Gridley. And, uh, and, you know, it wasn't the highest vibration. I remember one evening uh, they had to get people from the unemployment, and there were four guys that uh, had their beer hidden around the dryer, and uh, there was an overflow. Uh, and uh, Kirtani, who was just supposed to... Uh, uh, take uh, 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 you know samples of the rice. Uh, uh, she she had enough to do. Well, these guys wouldn't do any work at all, and Kirtani was having to do the shoveling of four men plus her job. So it wasn't the the highest vibration, and I, I was feeling got gosh, I'm missing out on so much. And then I sort of thought about it, and we didn't get too long to meditate because our days were so long. But and we had a 10, 15 minute uh, walk uh, to the dryer. But I was floating on air. I was just felt so much joy uh, as I was walking. And, and it wasn't because of my meditations. Actually, I did feel that in my meditations, but it, they weren't that long. And I, I realized that I was included in Swami Kriyananda's aura. And from that lesson, I realized that it's not what we do, uh, what kind of perfect situation do we find, uh, but it's more in just doing what God gives us and, and, and doing it completely with our whole heart. And, you know, what does that have to do with creativity? Well, if you look at Swami Kriyananda's life, he did everything for God. There wasn't anything out of wanting to please Master, wanting to please God. And because of that, uh, the divine power of Master and all our Masters and God just really flowed through Swami, and it just brought everything to life. And when we uh, do things from our own uh, little minds, 
we can do something nice and we can stake claims to it uh, and it's, uh, you know, and we can shout about it to the world. But how much have we really contributed? Uh, it really depends on that flow of grace that we invite and that uh, flows through us. Uh, another um, experience, actually it was a dream I had. It was uh, maybe my first decade at Ananda. And in this dream, I was walking down a street. And I went by a church. And I don't know if I saw a poster of uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, but I just sensed that he was inside speaking. And so I walked in, and I was in a balcony where I could see the stage. And uh, there was a master. And he, I couldn't even see his form. Uh, it was just a brilliant light that just flooded the whole stage and went out into the audience. And then I looked out into the audience, and there were about 300 people sitting there, and everybody was in black and gray. And there was one orange, colorful figure. And I looked, and that was Swami Kriyananda. And there were two things that I sensed uh, from this dream. One is that Swami Kriyananda is uh, the channel for all of us at Ananda, in terms of Master's blessings flowing out. Uh, but then the other is just how we can become if we're open to Master's energy, if we're perfectly attuned to him. You know, how could Swami do all the things that he's done in this world? I mean, it was just astounding. I've uh, uh, written, I don't know, is it eight or nine books in my life? And, I, uh, and it's very hard, uh, Rambakta, in editing my first book, he said that Bharat's book's like uh, wading through concrete. <laughs> 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 and I had a lot of help, and, uh, and we get better over the years, uh, and that, but, uh, but just to be able, you know, just can, can you imagine uh, the flow of grace that was coming through Swami? Swami said that most artists they, um, they have dry spells. Swami said, I never had a dry spell. I mean, he, he might have had, and spiritually, I, there was a time where he had difficulty when he was just uh, with Master and doing Kriya for a year, what I understand. But uh, in terms of artistic pursuits, he said that uh, that wasn't the case. Uh, Swami also said that the secret of creativity is to raise the energy in the spine. And isn't this the path of of Kriya Yoga. Uh, a few years ago, I um, was working uh, on a book on, uh, on the Om uh, vibration, and it was fun to just see how much uh, Swami had written about uh, Om and how much Master had, and I, I wrote the book to, to give Swami really a voice, because he said so much. And, you know, as Swami worked, uh, often, uh, you know, like uh, the uh, revelations of Christ, he said that uh, just feeling the Om within him and all around him was really uh, uh, just a blessing, saying uh, a mark of approval uh, to what he had written. And when he would write music, he would uh, attune his melodies uh, to cosmic Om. And uh, he, he said how it's so important for us to pray to Om uh, before work, uh, before we start a project, why we're doing the project, and then afterwards, just like we do when we pray in meditation. Uh, I'd like you now to uh, close your eyes, and I want you to 
visualize the spiritual eye. This is the reflection of the inner spine. And see a golden ring of light on the outside of the spiritual eye. This is the astral world. And now go deeper into the spiritual eye into a field of blue. This is the causal world, the thought plane where Om resides. Now go to the star, still unmoving spirit of God. Paramahansa Yogananda said that all worthwhile things evolve in the stillness. Om is the divine intelligence of, of God active in creation. Om is the mechanism in which all God's blessings flow out into the world. Feel the vibration of God's thoughts around that star in the center of the spiritual eye in the field of blue. And feel that energy emanating out through the golden ring and into this material world. When we can attune to Om, everything that we do will express God's consciousness and we'll be able to feel and see God's consciousness in everything. If we act from our periphery of that and we mold it ourselves, it'll only reflect just a little bit of that energy. I'd like you to continue meditating as I read from something that Swami uh, said in a talk uh, on Om vibration, on listening to Om. Your creative efforts will become attuned to the highest source of inspiration and will no longer merely express your own personal tastes and feelings. Your perception becomes attuned to the cosmic mind and is no longer limited to your individual self. Your intellect becomes a universal, intuitive intelligence and understanding. Om. Open your eyes. Amen. Bless you. Because <laughs> I don't live here, but live in Palo Alto, I don't have the opportunity as often as I would like to listen to all the speakers that I've enjoyed this week. It's really an honor to be part of this family and really an honor to be part of any um, group of such dedicated people. Many years ago, at the, in the very early years, I remember asking Swamiji a question because before I came to Ananda, I had studied um, Ramakrishna's teachings and Vivekananda's teachings, so I was new to master, but I wasn't new to the idea of self-realization. And I was curious to sort of understand where I was, and I, I posed a rather convoluted question to Swamiji. Is this the kind of ashram from which people are liberated? <laughs> and I didn't mean, you know, allowed to leave. <laughs> I meant, who, who, who am I with here? What is this place? And Swamiji said, except for the Mount Washington when Master was there, and some of what I saw with Anandamoyi Ma 
He said, I've never in the world seen an ashram as elevated in consciousness as this one, which was quite a statement, really. And I made some small comment because we were all working so hard about how much work we had to do and how much time we didn't have for meditation. And very seriously, he corrected me. Oh, he said, there's a lot of deep meditation happening there. This was 74, 75, 76 maybe, very early. But I've always kept that in my mind, not, not as a source of pride, um, but as a source of extraordinary gratitude. And the kind of gratitude <clears throat> that says, this is an opportunity that doesn't come often. Excuse me a moment. This thing feels too much in my face. <clears throat> Can you hear it as well from here? Okay. Um, this is an opportunity that doesn't come too often, and we must be extremely attentive to every aspect of this, to every detail of the opportunity to live for Master in this particular way. I, uh, when we were trying to organize ourselves um, above a level of abject poverty, now we may consider ourselves poor, but we're not so abject about it as we were then. And there was all this effort to find teachings about prosperity. Uh, a lot of the materials that are available from Master now we simply didn't have. And Swamiji himself had, had hardly begun to write and had even only been speaking in his way for a few years. And I was with him at one point and I asked him, I said, Sir, what is the secret of prosperity according to Master's teachings? And he gave me the one-word answer, which I've said to you before. He said, Creativity. And so in, we're talking about superconsciousness, and I asked him the word prosperity. The context was money, but the word prosperity has many, many levels. It's a feeling of having everything that you need. Um, money doesn't give that to you. The absence of money doesn't necessarily create a feeling of lack. Prosperity is the sense that you have everything that you need. And the secret of prosperity, he said, is creativity. And then he went on to say this. He said, the creativity to say, if this isn't working, then I'll try something else. And if that doesn't work, then I'll try something after that. And if it's a, a, a hundred thousand times and five hundred incarnations in which what I was trying didn't work, and I still ended up with a sense of lack, the secret of prosperity is creativity. We just keep realizing that we're never finished. We're never done until it's all come out in a beautiful way. Um, recently, as all of you know, our uh, Ananda Palo Alto has expanded into another location. We've, uh, now the farm really belongs to Master. It's, it's definitely ours officially yesterday. And the... <laughs> now we need farmers, by the way. <laughs> Boy, do we ever need farmers. But, so if you know any farmers, let us know. Um, but uh, now, that, now that I've lost the thought, let me just find it again here. Hmm. I've totally, completely lost the thought. Prosperity. Hmm. Hmm. I have no idea where I was. You all interrupted me, and now I've lost it. <laughs> I... Okay, guys. I, 
<laughs> I'll just tell you a different story then. <laughs> um, it was very interesting, actually, the process of acquiring that farm. Uh, it, we've done a lot of projects over the years, you know, the collective we, and I'm, I myself have been involved, my husband and I, David and I together have done lots of different things. Never in our lives have we in, been involved in anything that was remotely like this. This was really, and it wasn't merely just, well, Swami's passed and he really wants us to be safe in hard times, which was one of the reasons. This is a great farm, and it's an even better refugee camp. It is such a classy refugee camp <laughs> that if it ever comes to that, you know, we're going to have such a good time in our little <laughs> valley there, living in the greenhouses, you know. And, but in any case, um, there was this sensation. Oh, I know where I was. It was the positive ending. There was this sensation that no matter what happened, it would always come out, ex oh, I, I'm now I'm remembering all of it, it would always come out exactly where it was meant to go. And it was interesting to watch. There was, because I can, I'm, I'm a high-strung person, and even though I can persevere, I often uh, go around in circles on my way to go forward, you know, just worrying like that. As the, as the whole thing goes forward, it goes forward with more tension than it needs. But watching this one, it was so amazing to me. No matter what happened, we just had this absolute certainty. There would be an answer. And it wasn't the certainty, actually, that we would, we would uh, find, get that land for Master. We thought we probably would, but it really didn't matter in a peculiar sense whether we actually got that land, because we knew the story we were writing was going to have a happy ending. And that ha happy ending was going to be, we would give everything we could to it, we would never give up, and then whatever happened next, we would just go to the next step. The way we articulated it, we believe this is our land, but if it isn't our land, our land must be standing right behind it. And we didn't necessarily mean geographically, but just it was going to be the next thrust of energy after this one. And even though many things went relatively smoothly, there were so many times when I could see how, with just slightly less, well, I think the word is faith, a person would have just given up. The lawyers, oh my God, the lawyers, when you start dealing with as much money as we're dealing with, with so many people, the state of California and the United States of America are truly impressive in what they ask of you. <laughs> uh, and when you go and get a high-priced Silicon Valley lawyer, which is what we ended up with, they make sure that there's not one tiny little crack through which one crafty lawyer could sneak at any point, and endlessly. And every time that feeling would come to me, which was, you know, something I've worked with my whole life, there was just this sudden sense of, what difference does it make? You know, you put one foot in front of the other, and as long as you're doing it for God, with the feeling of God's presence with you, then sooner or later it will come out where it's meant to be, and in the process, you will become who you are meant to become. What I was going to say a moment ago was we, had to bu we bought this out of bankruptcy court, which meant that the previous owners had gone bankrupt. The previous owners are the only other owners of this farm as a farm. It was built by this uh, Portuguese couple over 45 years of work, which ended up in bankruptcy <clears throat> because the global economy ate their business, basically. People ask us, well, what did the previous owners grow? Not relevant, <laughs> because it's gone. 
So that was always, you know, a bit of a hard thing for us, even though we were helping them out at this point. We didn't cause it. And uh, their agent, knowing, quote, that the woman always makes the decision, um, had me sit in the kitchen with the farm wife for about four and a half hours one day. <laughs> well, everyone else, Anant and Maria, we brought Anant and Maria so that they could talk crops and somebody could actually receive the information. <laughs> which they did beautifully, and David just kind of trucked along behind with a notebook. And, uh, but I sat there, and then I sat with the owner for many hours. And you know, they're hardworking, good people who find themselves somewhere they never expected to be. And as I kept hearing them talk, and I, I enjoyed their company for all that hours, shelling fava beans and things like that, the phrase kept coming to my mind, the soul's long journey the soul's long journey. I just heard it over and over and over again. And I remembered how Swamiji had remarked once that whenever he sees anybody unhappy, the natural inclination, of course, is to think about their unhappiness. He thinks of how much sweeter will be the day when God comes to them and lifts that sorrow from them forever. So I'm sitting with these people, the soul's long journey. And of course, it occurs to me, this is us, this is not them. This is us. And what is the secret of prosperity, of divine prosperity, of having sufficiency in the presence of God? And sufficiency means infinity in the presence of God. It's creativity. But creativity not guided by what do I want, what do I want, what do I want. One of my relatives back in 1970, 1969, 68, before I met Swami Kriyananda, trying to inspire her to get on the spiritual path, a distant relative, no one that I still know. And I told her, haven't you noticed how whenever you want new things and you get them, after a while they disappoint you? Oh, she was so serious. She was so with me. That's why it's so important, she said, to keep on wanting new things. (laughs) I just pray she's not one of my six, because I'm going to be here a long time, if she is, (laughs) creativity, but that was not superconscious creativity. Superconscious creativity when we say, all right, God, what do you have in mind? That didn't work. 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 I mean, that's the life we all live. All been, many of us have been around this planet long enough. My goodness, the story really took a twist that we never expected. Our, our school uh, over the last three years went through a transformation with sort of sorting out personnel that really belonged with us now and, and had been with us for a long time, but the school had outgrown them and we had to do some shifts. And like shifts happen, it was not always harmonious. People become invested in what is and when what is shifts, even if it's shifting for the good, you know, roots get pulled out. And there was a lot of chaos and as Nitai said, the standards of the parents are very high these days. And our school in Palo Alto, Swamiji's actual words when we started that school is, if you can make it a success there, you can make it a success anywhere. <laughs> because people are so, parents are so on things that are not always our primary value. So it was a huge kerfuffle about the thing. And it, it kind of looked for a while like we might go under. Just that, you know, you can't have a, a school without students. <laughs> You have a faculty, but you can't have a school. So (laughs) the 
core of the faculty, which was mostly Gary and Helen and I, we would get together and to keep that energy from spinning, we just looked at each other and said, you know, we're doing this for Master. And we'll just keep doing this for Master. And when all the dust settles and whatever is left standing, we'll still be here and we'll still be doing it for Master. And then it just sort of like you just exhale. The crash of breaking worlds. It just comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. But there's only one thing that really matters. And even though we say that a lot, it, it needs to be repeated over and over again. I, was, uh, I visited a friend um, who, who died the day after David and I visited her. She had been a, de- a devoted member of our church and then fell away from her active participation in the church. But she always loved Swami and always she was a hairdresser. She kept his picture on her a little uh, stand. So all her customers got to look at Swami Kriyananda right there and she would freely talk about it. And she didn't live a life that, you know, by any... She's not going to make it into any history book, not even as a footnote. You know, she just was a little wave on the ocean. But then it was all over, and there she was in her deathbed, literally. And she was so at peace. And you could just look into her eyes and you could see. I mean, she, she couldn't say it because she could barely speak. I did what I came to do, and I never gave up. And when one thing didn't work out, and I watched her that do that, when one thing didn't work out, she just did another. When one shop proved uncongenial, she just found another. When one relationship proved uncongenial, she just would go on until she found another. But always remembering, I didn't come for anything. I came only to open my heart. I was reading Sister Gyanamata's book, God Alone, which whenever you're feeling... Whenever the whining begins, to quote Daiva, pick up Gyanamata's book. The whining stops, like, whoa, like that. It's like really puts a sock in it, like that. She wrote to Master so sweetly. I mean, everything she wrote was so sweet, but this phrase struck me. She said, well, she always said, you know, I owe you everything. She, she said it in a, a hundred creative ways, but that's what she always said. You've given me everything. But how much more I, I could have done if I had only asked of you one thing, change me. And I, I started thinking about superconscious creativity and prosperity and how much of God can we have. We always have to remember God is always with us exactly the same. And now we have this very interesting, you know, new realization that Swamiji has sort of taken the, the, the veil off his consciousness. Seemingly we can have as much of Swamiji as we want. It's just a question of change me. These masters, I mean, I know we know this, but they have nothing to learn. You know, the, the art of, of reaching us is a skill that they perfected a long time ago. The, their willingness to help us. And what has struck me so deeply, especially in these last weeks, months now, since Swamiji has passed away, is how, how deeply and perfectly he has related to everyone. Just to everyone. It, there's, there's, no, there's no discrimination 
in the sense of favoritism or uh, personality preference on the part of a, a master. I know Swamiji said something very touching once, and I believe I have this in order. As, of course, we all know, Jyotish has been with Swamiji in a very close relationship since before there was an Ananda, and he's been one of those people who's had opportunities to be with Swami. I don't know if Jaya spoke before I arrived here, but I know Jaya has talked about how few hours he spent in Swami's company. And the first Kriya minister that Swami made was Jyotish, and the second was Jaya. And he didn't do that for any deliberate reason. I think that it was one, too, if I have that accurately. But he, he said he was happy that it came out that way. Because it helped people to understand, don't think that where the body is has anything to do with anything. And interestingly, Swamiji once said to us, he said, those of you who never met Master in the body, in many, way, in many ways, he said, have it easier. Because you never would be fall, you never fell prey to the delusion that he was contained in any way in that one form. And it's been so fascinating to me to see how all-pervasive the sudden understanding is of Swami's consciousness everywhere and how accessible he is. So I'm going next week with Shivani to India to be her assistant, to substitute for Santoshi, who didn't feel she could make the trip, for the distribution of the happiness movie. And I'm carrying Shivani's briefcase. That's my job. And I, I wasn't sure whether it was an appropriate time for me to go and to, you know, to, because of all that's happening in our own world now, even just for two weeks. So I, I went to meditate, and before I went to meditate, I looked at Swamiji, and I, I asked the question mentally, should I go with Shivani? And all of a sudden, you know, the global impact of the movie just was in front of me, and Swami laughed at me. <laughs> of course you should go. What could you be thinking? Of course you should go. You know, I know how much that movie means to him. And all of us, I, I use that only as a very small example, he's very, very eager to help us be super-conscious in a creative way, which is to move forward. But none of it works if we don't ask him. I had a long experience, which I won't explain in great detail, but it was in 1978 when Swami was recording a, the album called Music for Meditation, and um, personnel was so scarce that I was his recording engineer, so that's <laughs> enough in itself. But I was trying to record with him at 11 o'clock at night after all his classes were done, and I couldn't make it work. And I finally just remembered, Div Divine Mother, if you want this recording to happen, then you have to help me. And then I did my part, which is I pulled every plug out, and I plugged every plug back in, exactly the same, no change, and it worked perfectly. Later, Swamiji had me stand in front of everyone and say these words, these are amazing teachings, they'll really work if you use them. But, but you have to realize how, how tiny that is and, and what a grand canyon of success or failure is right there. The secret of prosperity is creativity. If this doesn't work, I'll try something else. And if I can't think of what to do next, oh, here's a thought. Ask God, ask Guru, ask Swamiji. You know, because these teachings will never fail you if you, don't, if you remember to practice them. And then, oh, the soul's long journey. Even through bankruptcy, divorce, despair, 
failure, collapse, the crash of breaking worlds, that just in the moment when it's all going to turn to dust anyway, I love thinking about that. It doesn't go away a little bit when you die. It vaporizes. (laughs) All of it just gone. But to be able to be there, just as my friend was, no matter what the no matter what the plot of the story has been, and know, oh, this is the happy ending. I came, I did my best, and now with God's grace I'll just move on. And when the dust settles and the kerfuffle is over, we're doing it for Master, and we'll still be here, and he'll be here with us. God bless you.